Thank you, Jordan, for leading us in our time of worship. I'm now open the scriptures again to Second Corinthians. And we continue our theme and subject of chapters 8 and 9 on giving. And the title of my message today is Grace Driven Giving. Let us pick up at chapter 8 and we'll commence at verse 6 and we'll go right through to the end of verse 15. So we urge Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and in utterance and knowledge and in all the earnestness and in love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so you, through his poverty, might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now finish doing it also, so that, there, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability for if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, and so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need, that there may be equality, as it is written. He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. Trust God will add a blessing to his word this morning. Last week we did launch into the subject of biblical giving. And we looked last week at four principles on what our financial giving Sunday by Sunday should look like. And we looked at the Macedonian example, the Macedonian church's example, that our giving, according to their example, should be a free will offering. It should be given worshipfully and joyfully to the Lord. We learnt what our giving should look like through the lenses of the Macedonian church. But this morning we're going to look through the lens of another church and this church is the Corinthian church, especially from the perspective or the viewpoint of a church that was negligent in its grace-driven giving. Grace-driven giving is very different than that of giving out of obligation or mere duty, right? By way of example, every year like you do, you have the responsibility of filing your tax return. 
But when it comes to me, I leave mine to the last possible moment. And the reason is that, for that is because I usually end up owing the ATO some money. I'm lawfully bound and obligated to pay this exact amount, whatever is owing. And, of course, I always do pay this. But I wait to the due date, never a day before. I, I transfer the exact amount, never a cent extra. I don't show any grace to the ATO. Okay? I make absolutely sure they, they get only what they say is due. I abide by the law. I pay up even when I would rather not do so. I'm pretty sure you know and get the idea. You know, how radically different is that money transfer to our giving here, Sunday by Sunday, to the Lord through the church? How radically different is that? Or it should be different, right? It should be very different. As believers, for example, our our motivation for giving should be radically different and our trust is radically different, our attitude is different, our purpose for giving is different, our preparation for giving is different and our goal for giving is different. The one main reason for the difference is that our giving should be, as the title of my sermon suggests, grace-driven giving. It's God's grace activated in the heart and the life of the believer. You know, we see this in other parts of Scripture, and I made mention of them last week. For instance, we saw in the Old Testament, or mentioned it briefly, where Moses and the children of Israel gave freely in abundance for the building of the tabernacle. It wasn't an obligation. It wasn't kind of a duty. It wasn't a law that they were commanded. But out of a free heart, they gave and they gave and they gave. Same thing as where King David, out of his own resources, more than was expected, he gave for the building of the temple that Solomon would later pick up. And in the New Testament, Jesus highlights this simple act of, or this profound act of grace-given driving, given, uh, giving, where, where the widow, remember, she was in the temple and she gave all that she had, her two mites. This is the kind of giving that God approves of and longs for. Grace-driven giving has always outstripped legalistic, duty-bound giving every time. It has, over and over again. And this is what every born-again believer is called to do. You know, we, as believers in Jesus Christ, we bask in the lavish gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ. We who bask in that must allow the same grace that we have experienced our recipients of to be the driving, to be the motivation of our giving. So how does this happen? What really makes it work though? And so what I want to do this morning is give you a few pointers that would cultivate and encourage the practice of being grace-driven givers. The first point that I would like to mention is that grace-driven giving demonstrates sincere love. We see this in verses 6 to 8. You know, over the last few weeks, as you will know, life for my wife and myself have been somewhat hectic. 
Uh, she has battled with some serious health issues which demanded emergency surgery and then some complications set in and extra hospital visits were required. And, and during this time, all this time, the love and concern and prayers expressed for us by you folk have been monumental in helping both Velma and myself ride this storm, so to speak. Have been monumental. But the one thing that has spoken most, the one thing that has outstripped all the loving words of comfort, all the offers of help, all the visits, the sympathy expressed is your giving. Yes, your giving. The planned, intentional giving of meals, of cards and flowers has struck a chord with us that proves your bond of love like nothing else. I'm not denigrating the words of sympathy and prayers, absolutely not. But giving in that practical way seems to outstrip words, etc., etc. You know, you did not have to do this. Honestly, you did not have to do this. You weren't bound by any law or command. But you have gone beyond the call of duty and in loving grace you have sacrificially given. And that is what Paul wants the Corinthian church to do. He wants them to be proactive and planned, intentional grace-giving just like the Macedonian churches. The Corinthians had started with the idea. They had some very good intentions a year back. They intended to give, not meals, money here. But it fizzed out a year ago. But since their revival, which we have been thinking much on over the last few months, this repentance that they entered into that was obvious and, and to, the, to Titus. What has happened, Paul wanted Titus to pick up where he left off a year ago and to complete this gracious work, this collection project. <coughs> he wanted that to be completed. Paul wanted the Lord, through Titus, through the Corinthians, to finish, to bring to completion the same grace, he calls it, the same grace that had been done among the Macedonians. That was the challenge. That's what Paul wanted. You see, the willingness and the joy of the Macedonians giving, he wanted the Corinthian church now to follow suit. He wanted them to complete this gracious work as he describes it here. Now, there's a lesson for us here, folks. A lesson. You know, we love the truth, and I think it was even mentioned in our theology class this morning, that what God has begun in us, he will bring to completion. We see that in Philippians 1.6. We love that truth because it takes our minds to a promised future day when we will be with the Lord in heaven and we will receive new bodies, we'll be transformed, we'll, be, we'll receive our glorified body, made fit for heaven, etc. Completed! We look to that day. That, that verse takes us to that day. But as believers, we are called to work with that truth in the here and now. 
The completion work is the sanctifying work of God in us now and the goal of being a grace-driven giver is also part of God's completion work. It's a process. And this requires day by day, year in, year out, submissive love and obedience even in the way and how we give. In verse 7 and 8, Paul returns to the Corinthian experience and reminds them by way of comparison how they should give. What he does here is he encourages these vacillating believers with a summary of their strengths. Very encouraging here it would have been to them. This is not the first time he's done this. You may think that the Corinthians epistle is all about Paul's rebuke, but no, he encourages them heaps. He did this in the first epistle, chapter 1, verse 7. He said, you are not lacking in any gift. Remember that? And now here he reminds them in verse 7, but just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. You see, folks, this Corinthian church was more gifted than any other church, I believe, in the, than in the entire New Testament. They had all the necessary spiritual equipment for genuine success, can we say. But it was deficient in the virtue of giving. Their faith, why? It mentions their faith here. This was something that they had received in Jesus Christ. They, they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This faith was given to them by God so that they got to exercise it, put it into gear toward God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And that faith grew and it was given to them so that, and through nurture and experiences, it, it, it fitted, fitted them for everyday living. And also it was, there was such faith available to that church that they had that they could attempt great things for God. They had that faith. They had utterance. The word utterance really refers to the, the ability to pass on to others doctrines and teachings from God. They had that. They had knowledge as well. This is the ability to apply doctrines to everyday life issues. And added to their list of accolades was that they were earnest. They had earnestness. In other words, in this church there was a spiritual passion, there was enthusiasm, there was a zeal for Christ to walk faithfully as his followers. This church had all those things. And to top it all off, they had also caught hold of the love that the Apostle Paul and his team had inspired among them when they were there for 18 months. Now who would not want to belong to a church with that much strength and giftedness, right? Wow, bring it on. But they lack one thing. They lack one thing. The one thing that would authenticate and affirm all these other wonderful virtues. The one thing that would demonstrate and show off God's grace like nothing else. They sorely lacked. Their theology, their zeal, their faithfulness, their piety was being strangled in God's eyes by their lack of grace-driven giving. God's grace was to be displayed and to flow out of their grace-driven giving. Just as they abounded in all these other God-given virtues, 
they were to abound equally in this gracious work also. That's the apostle says here. Paul wanted their giving to match their religious zeal. He didn't command it. He doesn't come down lawfully. It's not in the imperative. He wanted it to be an expression of their grateful and willing hearts to be grace-driven. He wanted them to see that their religious zeal and their passion, their knowledge, all their virtues, virtues had been outmatched. Outmatched by who? Had been outmatched by the Macedonian churches. By the earnestness of others. In other words, Paul says to them, the proof of your love, Corinthians, the sincerity of your love for God and for others can only be seen when grace-driven giving is in action. As you know, folks, the true test of love is not feeling, it's certainly not words. It is our actions that sincere love is demonstrated, right? I can tell my wife that I love her very much, but if I don't demonstrate that in a million different ways, my words mean very little. And it's the same with our love toward God and with our love toward one another as Christians. John said this in 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. He says this. Listen to this. But if anyone has the world, this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. May the Macedonian... Church example, be what we follow. For it's the pathway of God's rich blessing here on and into eternity. But then Paul highlights the supreme model. He doesn't leave it there. He highlights the supreme model of grace-driven giving. And this brings us to our second point. Our grace-driven giving is to be Christ-centered. It seems that the apostle is not content to let the Macedonian example be the final call for the Corinthians and for us today. Because here he returns the focus of the supreme foundational model for giving that is found in Jesus Christ. He returns to it. He comes to it. In other words, we are not merely to follow a good example set by others. In other words, just because I say so or the elders say so, this is what we are to do. Don't follow that. I'll let you down for a start. Here's the model you follow. Our model needs to be Christ-centered, like every other aspect of our Christian living. So how did Jesus give? What's the model that he set? This is, here it is. Verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Folks, here is one of the most profound and doctrinal gems of all Scripture. Profound in the sense that this small verse tucked away in the context of giving, what it does, it declares in absolute simplicity the amazing truth of God's grace in through His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. That's what it does. You see, the Corinthians may not have known too much apart from what the Apostle Paul told them about the Macedonian giving. But every truly born-again believer in the Corinthian church were all irresistibly drawn to this most gracious act of sacrificial giving that the world has ever known. 
Here is the supreme model of grace-driven giving. Here is grace displayed that every born-again believer knows and who are recipients of. As we have remembered around this table this morning, we are recipients of God's grace. And so here is grace displayed by our Lord Jesus that tells us of the sacrificial cost Jesus willingly made so all those who believe in him might be made spiritually and eternally rich. You got that? The eternal Son who was ever with the Father in the splendor of heaven for time, for all eternity past. What he did is he forsook it all. He forsook it all. In other words, time came into his being and he forsook it all and he humbled himself and willingly took on humanity. This is what we know as the incarnation and you know the story. He was born as a babe in Bethlehem. The eternal Son. Though the glory and splendor of the eternal heaven with the Father is a fitting and a right place for the king of the universe, you would agree with that, right? A fitting place, yet this glorious eternal person stooped. He stooped. He humbled himself and came into this impoverished and sin-stricken world so that poor sinners like you and myself, broken sinners, might become like him in the eternal riches of a glory. That's a wonderful truth, right? That's a wonderful truth. The very center of this act of God's grace is that Jesus Christ gave. You got that? He gave. He gave. He gave himself. He gave his life. He became sin for us on the cross. He gave all so that we might be blessed with all He eternally is and has. Wonderful truth. Hence, every truly born again believer is one in Christ. One with Christ. When God looks upon His Son, what does He see now? He sees one with His Son, one in His Son, every born again believer. A wonderful truth. Folks, because of this loving, grace-driven, sacrificial gift, every believing sinner is made eternally rich. We have this in Ephesians verse 1, 3. A verse you will know so well. Blessed, we, are, that we are blessed. This is talking to only believers, not unbelievers. That every believer is blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Not just some. Everything. That's a great encouragement, you know. Sometimes we feel impoverished as Christians and, oh, I'd like to be drawn nearer to Christ. I want to be drawn and come closer to God. You're as close as you'll ever be in Christ. You are one with Him already. You are loaded with all the blessings of heaven. Can't get better than that, right? That's now. The Prince of Peace became a pauper that we who are spiritual paupers might become princes. That's what's happened. I wonder if everyone here knows this great giver, our Lord Jesus Christ, so that we can say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord, I belong to him. I wonder if we do. Well, here's the verse that you need to ponder and understand for the way of salvation. The lesson is simple here in the context uh, to believers is that if Jesus Christ in matchless grace gave so much 
Should not grace also drive us and motivate us? It certainly should. But as we think about that, grace-driven giving does not happen by itself, does it? It's just not something that automatically kicks in. It does not happen, as we saw in the Corinthians example, as we see in the Corinthian example here, it didn't, it didn't happen with desire alone. They desired it. It may have even started it. I believe they actually did start it. It doesn't happen with good intentions. Or, or you can appreciate the work of Christ and all things as much as you like, but that will not kick grace-driven giving into action. What it needs is a participation of your personal discipline. That's what it needs. Just like personal discipline is needed to grow in the grace of God and his knowledge. And that brings us to my third point. It involves a disciplined response. I believe we see this in verses 10 to 15. Paul makes it clear that giving is not to be motivated by command, but by God's grace in the heart of the believer. As I said, this had begun in the Corinthians. They were the first of all churches to kickstart the special collection for the poor in Jerusalem. Uh, they had the grace to do this. They had the desire to be involved. And I believe they'd actually begun to give this collection. But that was a year ago. Twelve months plus probably had gone by since this collection, since then this collection had gone, as we would say, belly up. Ceased, stopped, fizzed out. And so what does Paul do? He says that your giving needs to be intentional. We have this in verses 10 and 11. Your giving needs to be intentional. I fear some of us look upon our giving as an impulsive thing. In other words, no planning, no forethought. Kind of, if there's money left in my wallet, uh, then hand it over kind of thing, you know. Well, I believe our text here this morning corrects such impulsive ideas. This is what it says. I give my opinion on this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. Here it is. But now finish doing it also, so that there, so just as there was a readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. This was not the Apostle Paul rocking up in person to this church and taking them by surprise. No, no, that wasn't, this wasn't like that at all. He, he was advising them to follow through on their original desire, their original good intentions of a year ago, and, and to start once again putting money aside. This is what he was advising and encouraging them to do. Start up the collection, complete according to your financial ability, what you have first begun. Now, folks, this kind of giving takes some intentional planning, right? Can I suggest that a willingness and a desire to give must be matched with intentional planning so that sincere, grace-driven giving actually happens and eventuates? It's amazing how good intentions can be interrupted by hosts of other things, right? And it never works out. It never kind of happens. You see, for a start, good intentional planning is your budgets will need to be looked at. Can I suggest discussions will need to take place 
for those who are married between husbands and wives as to how you will do this and to what amount you will set aside, etc. You must be intentional in order to complete our grace-driven giving. It also needs to be realistic giving. We have this in verse 12. Grace-driven giving is not about giving what you do not have. In other words, it would be absolutely foolish for you to go out and borrow money in order to give. Foolish. Paul expected the Corinthians to give generously, yes, but he did not expect them to give beyond their means. He's already told them in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, each one of you is to put aside and to save, how? As he may prosper. In other words, every believer is to give and that giving is to come out of the resources that you have, not from what you do not have. That's the clear directive for us all here. Now, we do realise that they have an example earlier on with the Macedonians. They gave of their ability and it says, and beyond their ability. You may say, well, what was all this about? That is, that they gave from their resources and even beyond their resources. In other words, it was sacrificial to the point that they even dug in to their needs of what they needed everyday living. They went without. They dug into their pockets and went without some of the basic necessities. Sacrificial. Folks, if God wants you to give a lot, this is what I want to come and say, if God wants you to give a lot, he will see to it that you have a lot to give, right? The truth is, most of us could give a whole lot more than we really do. I think if we're honest. But what is important here is this. God is not so much, listen to this, God is not so much concerned about the amount. You got that? He's not so much concerned about the amount as he is about the attitude of our hearts toward giving. For sure, a wealthy believer should give more than a poor believer, but, only, but God only expects believers to give in proportion to their resources, not more, but wait for it, also not less. It is also giving that sees the need of balance, and we have this in the last few verses of our reading this morning. And Paul clarifies this, that this collection was not to be, was not to make the, the poor rich and the rich poor. What he wanted to get across was that every believer should give his fair share. That's what he was making plain here. Now the Corinthians seem to have been entrusted with more wealth than the other churches, and it's, it kind of infers that. They seem to be a reasonably wealthy church. Most probably being many were being white collar workers, etc., etc., and being in middle and higher income bracket, whatever the case may be. It seems to be that they were more wealthy than other churches. But he did not expect them to carry the load that other churches also should. He expected other churches as well, though poorer, to pull their weight. He didn't expect the Corinthians to give it all, and the poorer churches give nothing. It also has the idea that the Corinthian believers were not expected to become destitute in order for the, the saints at Jerusalem to bloom. This refutes the modern idea of many, sad to say, when I say many, some, I should say, in our church today, charlatan pastors. Charlatan pastors who would 
they will out and fleece their sheep in order to be wealthy and buy new jet planes and build themselves mansions. It refutes that idea. Paul calls grace-driven giving a matter of responding to others in need so that there might be some balance of our wealth and the other's poverty. And Paul pushes this by putting the boot on the other foot. And allow me to paraphrase this. This is what he's saying. Right now, you have the dosh to help out these cash-stricken believers in Jerusalem. And I know... If the boot was on the other foot, your brethren in Jerusalem would empty their pockets for you. That's what he says. You see, folks, grace-driven giving sees the body of Christ as a whole. It sees every believer as one with Christ. And when there is a genuine need, grace-driven givers will go all out and help balance and equally distribute wealth to needed believers for the glory of God. That's what it does. That's what it will do. This is not the birth of some communism state of affairs where everyone is to be equal. No way. Right through scriptures, there's some are more wealthy than others, but this is in relation to giving of what we have, our resources. So no matter how much wealth the Lord entrusts to us, grace-driven givers will give to the needy in order to see God's resources bring stability and balance to where there was none. Praise the Lord, we had the opportunity of doing this recently toward the saints in Africa, some saints in Africa. We participate in this ministry through the giving to our missionaries month by month, we do that. We have the privilege of providing balance. We have the privilege of, of, of sharing our wealth. You see, folks, the principle of the children of Israel gathering manna in the wilderness, it still applies today as we have here in the last few verses or last verse of this chapter. What happened then is that manna fell. This bread-like substance fell from heaven miraculously and the people went out and gathered and uh, and those who went out and gathered a whole lot and hoarded it up, if they had too much, it went stale and rank. So those who went out and gathered a whole lot had enough, and those who went out and only gathered a little, they never lacked. They also had enough. The gatherers, no matter who and how much they gathered, there was no lack. One commentator that I was reading gave an application for this like this. Those who have an abundance of material possessions will lose what they have if they do not use them properly. Those who give to the Lord's work learn that what's left goes farther, further. Those who withhold their gifts discover that their abundance will shrink and they will not gain by keeping it from the Lord. End quote. Every believer is called to be a faithful steward of the resources that God has given us. Let us be faithful in our stewardship and be grace-driven givers for the glory of God. Amen. Thank you for that. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we do bow before you this morning. And Father, these are sensitive issues and sensitive words and but, Lord, 
they're in your word and we have come to them and we need to look at them carefully as any other text of scripture we need to look at. And so help us to be exercised, help us to be challenged, help us to be encouraged, to be motivated by your grace in our giving. Help us to be intentional as well. Help us to understand that we have a responsibility to put things into action and to be intentional and to plan our giving. Help us to give joyfully and willingly and sacrificially. And so, Father, we thank you for your word that even instructs us in these things. But most of all, Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, The greatest gift that has ever been given was your son. And help us all, whether we're saved here today or whether we're not saved, Christians or not Christians, to understand that the way of eternal life, the way of salvation, the way for the removal of our sin for time and eternity is through faith and trust in your great gift, Jesus Christ himself. So, Father, bring to ourselves this wonderful truth that our giving is primarily modelled in the giving of your Son. And so, Lord, we give thanks. Take us to our homes in safety. Bless us this week that we have entered. And uh, watch over us, we pray. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And the people of God said, Amen.